Good evening. Great to see you. As John said, my name is Chris, and I'm so happy to be here. It's wonderful to be with you. I've uh, been in this church for a year, exactly seven years ago, and we loved it. And it's great to hear John uh, kind of speaking warmly about us in The Hague, because that's how we feel about you. It's kind of, it would have been awkward if I'd come up and I was going to be like, man, we just love new community, and it's fantastic, and he would have gone, yeah, we just want to be friends. It's like, that's kind of... That we've different feeling there, but there's no different feeling. We just love this church, not, not only because we had a year here and uh, it really made a big impact on us, but also because of the kind of ongoing friendship with um, the church and the fact that we're together in one family of churches and uh, we can be on mission together. That's really exciting, and we love uh, being able to do that with you guys. So this evening, we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. If you've got a Bible, you're welcome to turn there with me, otherwise it'll come up on the screen. But I would recommend turning there so that you can make sure what I'm reading is fully correct. And uh, I'm not just making it up. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, mm. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is a great story. It's not a parable. There are parables in the Bible. Parables are stories that Jesus told that had a deeper meaning. So it was a made-up story with a deeper meaning. But this is a story that really happened. A lot of the Bible is narrative. It was like historical narrative. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. And so this is a story that we read, and we, in this story, come across kind of three characters. We have the character of Zacchaeus. We have the character of Jesus. And we've got a few other people we're lumping together into one character called the crowd. And as we look at Zacchaeus and the crowd, we're going to see a lot of ourselves in those characters. Maybe particular one or the other, but we'll see a lot of ourselves in those characters. And as we look at Jesus, we're going to see a lot of what God is like. In fact, we're going to see exactly what God is like. So if you're here this evening and you're a Christian, it's fantastic that you're here. Maybe this is your church and I'm welcoming you, but it's like, Chris, you're a visitor and we're here and you're welcoming. That's a bit weird. Well, you're welcome. If you're here and you are not a Christian, you think, man, I just came because someone invited me. Or I came because I walked past the door and this really friendly guy kind of pulled me in and then closed the door behind me and I'm freaking out here. This is weird. Or maybe you came because you heard there were really beautiful young women in this church. <laughs> Whatever reason you came, you are welcome here. And this story is really relevant for you as well. So whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, this is a great place for you to be. So we're going to start off in the character of Zacchaeus. But I'm going to ask you a question uh, as we look at him right in the beginning. Have you ever achieved something that a major part of your life has been focused towards? 
Have you ever achieved something that a major part of your life has been focused towards, and yet when you achieve it, although it's fantastic, there is also a hollowness. It was like, it's not exactly what I thought this was going to be. It's, it's not exactly as fulfilling as I hoped it would be. I wonder whether this had happened to Zacchaeus. The reason why I say this is because people in general, and perhaps men in particular, tend to go after money and power with great gusto. You could even say people in general, and men in particular, worship money and power. Hang on, Chris, that's a big jump. Like worship, not everyone's religious. You may may be here this evening thinking, I'm not really religious at all. I'm not sure I worship anything. I'm just not that kind of person. Well, here's the thing. Everyone worships something or someone. Because our worship is that which we put our deepest hope and trust and security and energy towards. And all of us will put our deepest hope and energy and trust and faith towards something. And in that way, we functionally are worshiping that thing. And people in general, men in particular, tend to worship money and power. We might not use those words. And we might not even phrase it around money and power, but we tend to worship those things that we think money and power will give us. Like what? Pleasure, security, stability, respect, success. We tend to give our lives for these things. And here's the interesting thing. Zacchaeus had achieved them. He was wealthy and he was the chief tax collector. If he was the chief tax collector, not just the tax collector, he was the big dog. He was like in a troop of baboons, he was the monkey. This guy had got to the place. He'd he'd achieved these things, and yet this success in achieving state wealth and power had come at a great cost to him. And that cost was social isolation. People didn't like him. We see that in the story. But we also know that because to be a tax collector at this time was like a double whammy of badness. On the one sense, it was bad because it was being a traitor to your own people. The Romans were the occupying power in Palestine, and so the Israelites had to pay taxes to a foreign government that was oppressing them. I mean, it's like, why don't you guys take us over, and then we pay you to dominate us? That's like, that's not cool. And so to be one of the guys that takes money from your own people to give to the enemy, that is really, really not cool. He was a traitor. He was working with the enemy against his own people. So that was bad double whammy point number one. Point number two, it was bad because tax collectors would not just take what they needed to give to the Romans. They would take whatever they wanted to enrich their own lives and give what the Romans needed. So he was a cheat. He would have cheated people out of money. He would have stolen money from his own people, not just working with the enemy, but enriching himself. This guy was a bad guy. He was a bad guy. And the story doesn't, uh, doesn't paint that, oh, gloss that over for us. He was a chief tax collector. I wonder, let's just pause here and think about this for a moment. Do you think that Zacchaeus grew up thinking, man, I want to be socially ostracized. I want to be like unpopular. Do you think when he was growing up and he was at like his parents' parties and stuff and his parents' friends were like, hey, Zach Attack, 
What do you want to be when you grow up? Do you think you would have gone, I want to be unpopular. I want people not to like me. I want to work with the enemy. I want to cheat my own people. No, <laughs> he didn't set out to do those things. Here's the interesting thing. When we worship something or someone that's not the one true God, we find ourselves in places that we never would have intended to be. We were never setting out there in the beginning, but we find ourselves doing things, involved in things, being part of things, being things that we never imagined that we would be. Why? Because when we worship a false God, and that's what things are, anything that we put in the place of God, i.e. anything that we worship instead of God, that which we place most importance of in our lives apart from God, even if it's a good thing, there's nothing wrong with power or money in and of themselves. But when they replace God and we worship them like a God, they always demand much more from us than we ever think we were going to give in the beginning. False gods always overpromise and underdeliver and cost us much more than we would ever be willing to give. So this guy had hit this in the area of money. But here's the thing, we get hit in this area in whatever area we give ourselves to where we worship something or someone, ask God who's not God. And here's a common why quite a few of us are young. I know it's, it's university holidays and stuff, but here's a big one for especially young people. In the area of relationships, man, God puts something in us, and as human beings, part of this desire for relationship and friendship and stuff is a desire to be loved, is a desire to be wanted, is a desire to be desired, is a desire to be valued. And this, this desire for relationship is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. And there's nothing wrong with desiring romantic relationship. That's, that's also something that God puts in us. But sometimes it doesn't always go the way we expect it to go. But here's the thing, if we put our desire for relationship in the place of God, we find ourselves pursuing things which we just know are not exactly the things that God's called us to go for. And we can find ourselves in places or in relationships, and we can think, man, how on earth did I ever get here? I'm doing stuff which I just know is not right, which I knew is not right when I came, but I can't help myself. How did I get into this place? If people knew what was going on in my life, if people could see the stuff that I'm involved in, man, I'd be so ashamed. How did I ever get here? I didn't expect to get here. I wasn't dreaming of getting here. But we get into places and situations when we worship something or someone in the place of God. I wonder whether for you it's money like Zacchaeus, money and power. Maybe it's something around relationships. Maybe it's something around just your personal ambition and success. Remember, none of these things are wrong in themselves, but when we put them in the place of God, we find they demand so much of us that it puts us in places that we never would have expected to be in ourselves. I wonder this evening if uh, the way that I've just painted Zacchaeus in a very brief way towards you, whether you look at Zacchaeus and go, I just don't think I've got much in common with him. That's, that's not, I wouldn't think of myself like him at all. I think I've made some pretty good decisions. I'm not perfect, but, but I've kind of managed my risks. I, I don't do stupid things, and if I do, I try and correct them. I've been a pretty good person. I wonder whether some of us feel, man, I'm a lot more like Zacchaeus than I'd like to admit. Zacchaeus' sin was very open, he was clearly working with the enemy and he was clearly cheating his own people to enrich himself. My sin is maybe not like that, but man, I'm involved in some stuff that, that no one else knows about. 
And so I can relate to this guy being not such a good guy because although I'd like to be a good person, I know there's stuff going on which is just not so cool. In our, in our church in The Hague, there's a, a fantastic guy that I've become friends with. I love him. He's a people person. He's doing his PhD. He's intelligent. He's good looking. He, he's just a great guy. And I spoke to him a little while ago, and he was just saying, Chris, I feel like such a hypocrite because I'm, I'm here on Sunday. And, and he said, just like this last Sunday, I was there in church, but Saturday night, do you know what I was doing? And, and he told me what he was doing, and he said, I just feel such a hypocrite. I'm involved in that stuff, and then I'm here on Sunday morning, and I feel like such a hypocrite. And I, I was so blown away that he was just open in sharing that and saying, hey, can you pray for me? I'm like, brilliant, that's, that's amazing. You're not unique in facing those kind of things, but you are unique in saying, actually, I need some help. I'm just going to open up on something that doesn't make me look good, but it's important enough for me to break out of this that I need some help, and uh, can we pray together? Sometimes we can be stuck in stuff that we think no one else knows about this, but man, I know about this. And so, Chris, as you open up the Bible and talk about Zacchaeus being a bad guy, I'm going, I'm kind of like that. So whether you think this evening, I, I don't think I'm like that, or you think, man, I, I'm, I, me and Zach, we could have some things to talk about. The way that we're going to meet the second character now is going to really be important for you. Because the way that we see Jesus dealing with Zacchaeus is the way that God deals with us. And so this is so important for us to realize. And again, just to, realize, to remember that this is not a parable. Parables are brilliant. Parables, like art, express truth in a very profound way that's often not understood in other ways. But this is not a parable. This happened. And this happened showing us God allowed this story to be written in the Bible. God allowed this, these events to happen to show us that no one is too far out of the reach of the love of God. There's this wonderful verse in the Old Testament where God says, my arm is not too short to save. I love that. I love that. It means almighty God is not looking at you going, mm, too far. He's going, man, I can reach you wherever you are. Even if you've been running far, I can reach you. An English poet called Francis Thompson, who was a, a drug addict and a homeless guy for a while, uh, before encountering the love of God, wrote this poem called Hound of Heaven, where he described God as this great hound who had been pursuing him his whole life. And though he'd been running away from God, desperately trying to do his own thing and making a horrible mess of things, he said, the hound of heaven has never left me. God will never leave you. You are never too far away from the outstretched arm of God. He is there to rescue you however far away you are. And I love this story because in this story we get a guy like Zacchaeus that I think actually more of us are like than we like to think. We get a guy like Zacchaeus who woke up that morning as someone who was far away from God. And he goes to bed that night, puts his head on the pillow as a man who is a friend of Jesus and whose life has been completely transformed. And what happens there? Or what happens there is what we're going to look at and what can happen to each one of us. Whether you're this, here this evening going, man, I'm just like Zacchaeus. And everyone knows about it. People now have got a reputation. Or I'm just like Zacchaeus and no one knows about it. Whatever your case is, let's see how Jesus relates to you. 
First thing is this, Jesus takes initiative. Remember, in what we see Jesus doing, we see what God does with us. Jesus takes initiative. I love this. I love this story. Jesus could have just walked under the tree, gone, what's a grown man doing in that tree? That's weird. I'm just going to keep on walking. In this culture, grown men would not be climbing trees. Boys climb trees, not grown men. In, the, in this culture, many African and, African and third world countries the same. Boys wear shorts. Men don't wear shorts. Boys climb trees. Boys run. Men don't run. The, the, this is very countercultural. Jesus could have just gone, man, that is weird. I'm going to keep on going. But Jesus stops. He looks up at Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to be your friend. Does he say that? He says, I want to come to your house. I'm going to stay at your house today. But in that culture, us in our culture, to, to go to someone's house, to share a meal together, to be together is an expression of friendship. Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I want to be your friend. This is amazing. Jesus taking initiative with a guy who is far away from him. And he's saying, Zacchaeus, he knows him by name. He calls him by name. He says, I want to be your friend. This is amazing because it shows us what God is like. God, the one who made the universe, the one who has all power and all authority, the one who says, I'm going to judge the world, the one who says, I'm perfect, the one who says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, that God also says, I want to be your friend. This is amazing. I want to be your friend. I want to know you. I want to come to your house. Jesus didn't say, Zach, you can walk with me for a little while, you can be in my presence and then buzz off. Jesus said, I want to come to your house. Where was Jesus going? He was on his way to Jerusalem. The story is building up here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. No one else knows it, but Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be unjustly judged. He's going to die. He's going to have the sins of the world on his shoulders. He's going to be separated from his father. And he knows that, but no one else knows that. And here he takes a day out to spend some time with Zacchaeus. That's amazing. You may think, I'm not sure God would be interested in me. And God said, I'm very interested in you. I know your name. The God that we worship is not a philosophy. He's not an idea. He's not an aloof judge or a distant, omnipotent, move the chess pieces around the chessboard kind of God. He's a God who says, I know your name, and I love you. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, I formed you in your mother's womb. And before one of your days came to be, I knew every single one of them. I know your name, he says. That's amazing. He doesn't just go, hey, hey, guy in the blue shirt, come here. He goes, hey, Chris, Chris, hey, Mary, hey, Stephen, hey, Edward, I want to come to your house today. This is amazing. He says in one place in the Bible, I know every hair on your head. That's, that's a strange thing to say. I've never said that to someone. I've never been like, hey, Chris, I know every hair on your head. I mean, that would just be weird. Even if I did know that, that would be weird. But what's God saying here? He's saying, I know every single detail of your life. And you know what? I still love you. That's great. <laughs> That's great. That means that God's not surprised by stuff. It's not like, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to come to your house. And then everyone starts grumbling. He goes, hey, hang on a second. Zacchaeus, are you a good guy or a bad guy? Oh, I'm, I'm a bad guy, God. Zach, stay up the tree, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, wrong person. Carry on going. In the Bible, in Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's Jesus speaking. 
And whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. That's amazing. God doesn't knock at the door and say, hey, Stephen, are you in? Hey, Chris, I want to come and eat with you. I want to be your friend. And as you open the door, he goes, oh, sorry, wrong, Chris. <laughs> Imagine God did that. Imagine God goes, listen, when I, when I called you, I thought you were cool, but I've got to know you, you're not that cool. Um, cheers. Come back when you're a bit better. Jesus goes, I know every single thing about your life. I know what you're doing last night. I know whose bed you got out of this morning. I know the things that you get up to that you think no one else sees. I see them. And you know what? I love you, and I'm calling you by name, saying, come to me. I'm coming to you. It's fantastic. This is the God that we worship. And secondly, Jesus takes initiative, but here's the thing. This is, as he takes initiative, this is absolutely incredible. He doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to sort out his life. He doesn't say, hey, Zach, I really love you, but you're going to need to clean things up before I come to your house. Go and tidy up your house, sort out the bad things you've done, and when you've done okay, listen, we'll be Chinas, we'll be friends. He doesn't say that. And the wonderful concept, which is absolutely unique to Christianity, like Jesus and like a whole lot of things, is this concept of grace. Grace is undeserved favor. And this is, this is the reason why the people in the, later in the story start grumbling, because of this thing, this thing that Zacchaeus didn't deserve the love of God. He didn't deserve Jesus going, Zacchaeus, out of everyone here, I'm choosing you. I want to come to your house. But that's what grace does. Grace chooses us even though we don't deserve it. See, every world religion will say, God, us. If you're good enough, if you're religious enough, if you pray enough, if you do this, and if you don't do that, if you eat this, if you don't eat that, if you're, if you're religious enough, then hopefully, hopefully one day God will accept you. There's no certainty. Hopefully if you attain enlightenment, if you, if you clear your mind enough, if you're empty enough, if you become one with the universe enough, then hopefully you'll get there. And you know what Christianity says? You're absolutely right. We're separate from God, but, but we will never measure up to God. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're going, I don't think I relate to Zacchaeus. I'm a good guy. Zacchaeus is down there. Or you're down here going, man, Zacchaeus... I make Mary Poppins, I'll make Zacchaeus look like Mary Poppins. I'm like way down there. It doesn't matter whether you're here or here, you're separate from, the, from God because he's perfect. And however good you are, however religious you are, whether you're jolly Mother Teresa on steroids and amazing, is, I mean in a good way, like as in really, really good, man, you're not perfect. And so none of us can measure up to God. But here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity doesn't just say there's nothing we can do to get to God. Christianity says because of God's love for us, God comes down to us by grace. Undeserved, the God of the universe comes down to rescue us, a gap that we could not gap ourselves. We couldn't bridge ourselves. God doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to sort his life out, and he doesn't wait for you and I to sort our lives out. He comes to us as we are, and he says, I love you as you are, and I want you to come to know me. This is really big, because some of us, 
this is news to us. And that's like, oh, God, that, that's amazing. I don't understand everything, but I believe that. That's great. You're like Zacchaeus. We'll get to you in just a moment. But some of us are going, Chris, this is kind of cool, but I, I know this. And here's the thing, Chris. I, I know this because I accepted it when I became a Christian. And I was like, yes, yes, I want this. Yes, I believe this. But things haven't been rosy exactly as a Christian. And I started off going straight, but I, I've just been like this, Chris. And maybe people around you have noticed, maybe they haven't, but it's like, man, Chris, to be honest, I'm now over here. I've just gone my own way, and I know that stuff, but, but would God still, would he still be like that with me now? Because that time I was making bad decisions, but I wasn't a Christian, but now I've made bad decisions as a Christian, and I knew better. How would God relate to me here? I'm not sure that's still true for me. I get that. That's amazing if you're not a Christian, but... I reckon some of us are in that place. The way that God relates to you there is the way that God relates to you here. Because you may think, man, I knew better. I knew better. I know better, but I'm still here. I went, uh, like, how would God relate to me? And God comes to you and he goes, I'm not surprised. Think, really, God? Because I'm not surprised. When I called you, when I came to you and called your name, I knew every single one of your days before one of them came to be. Really? God, you knew, you knew that I would be like this? I knew you'd be like that. Jolly scallywag. And I love you. I don't love some future better version of you. I love you now. And I come to you now. Some of you are thinking, that's amazing, I love that. Maybe if I work really hard, I can kind of, maybe I can kind of get back here and we can start over if I work hard. But God couldn't love me over there. He loves you over there. Grace means when I become a Christian for the first time. Oh, it's amazing. Grace means when as a Christian I've ended up over somewhere where I shouldn't be, grace comes to me. Oh, it's amazing undeserved favor have you experienced the grace of God God wants you to experience it while we were still sinners Christ died for us that's good news whatever your life has been like whatever your life is like at the, right, at the moment and you know what whatever your life will be like in the future God's love was never too far away from you God loves you, past known, present known, and future known. Romans chapter 8, it says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not the past, not the present, not the future. That's the grace of God. Now here we see in the life of Zacchaeus, grace playing out in an incredible way. Because Zacchaeus receives Jesus. It says, when Jesus called him, Zach, come down, I want to come to your house. It says, immediately, he came down, welcomed him gladly. And then the next moment, he's calling him Lord. In a context where there was one Lord, and that was Caesar. If you were not a Christian, most people in this context were not Christians. If you were not a Christian, if you were not a follower of God, there was only one Lord, and that was Caesar. And suddenly, this guy Zacchaeus come down from the tree, everything is changing, and in seemingly just a few minutes or seconds or a couple of hours, he's gone from being far away from God to saying, Lord, 
He's calling him Lord. He, he's welcoming him gladly. He's, he's, the, here's the thing. Zacchaeus didn't understand everything, but he believed. And this is what it means to be a Christian. We, here's the, let, let you into a little secret. No one understands everything. Some of you think, oh, I, I, if, if I understood more, if I, if I had more of a grasp, then I'd be okay. Then, then I could. You're never going to understand everything this side of heaven. But what God calls us to is not full understanding, but belief. Belief that goes, I don't know, intellect, interesting. Belief that goes, yes, yes, I want this, I believe this. Maybe you're here this evening and you think, I've never heard it like this before. And I don't understand everything, but I believe this. Man, you can become a Christian. Really? Yeah, by believing. We see this playing out all across Scripture, because, all across the Bible, because this is how God relates to us. But here's the great story where it happens. Jesus is dying on the cross, and he is unjustly uh, convicted and unjustly being crucified. But there are two people around him who were justly being crucified because they'd done very bad things. The Romans didn't just crucify normal criminals. To be crucified, you had to have done something very, very bad. Even the Romans, who are not exactly kind of walk-in-the-park lovely people in terms of how they killed people, would not just crucify anyone. So Jesus was crucified unjustly, but two people on either side of him were crucified for crimes they had committed. And one of them is mocking Jesus, saying, Jesus, why don't you save yourself? Who do you think you are? And the other says, oh, whoa. I mean, he couldn't have moved his hands. His hands were nailed, but stay with me. He was like, hey, 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 we've done things wrong. This man is innocent. And he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So hours later, minutes later, or whatever, that guy dies, goes up to heaven. And Peter's like, yo, Joe, great that you're here. And he goes, wow, thanks. Joe, how did you get here? Uh, I, I was crucified next to Jesus. Great, Joe, uh, but, but what did you do to get here? I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> was I meant to do something? Uh, well, most of us have done stuff. Joe, like, what did you do? I, 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 I just believed Jesus. Okay, cool, no belief, great. Well done for belief, but what did you do? I, I screamed, ow? I mean, what did I? I don't know. In the picture of the thief on the cross and in the picture of Zacchaeus, we see the grace of God which says you do not have to do anything to get God to love you. You do not have to do anything to access the grace of God which comes into the deepest part of who we are and begins to change us and make us new because God loves, God's love comes to us as we are. But here's the thing, God's grace, God's love, the rescue of Jesus in reaching out to us comes to us as we are, but it never leaves us as we are. It never leaves us as we are. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. So he didn't save Zacchaeus and be like, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, Lord. Guys, Zacchaeus, listen, just don't cheat people quite as much, you know? No, everything changes. 
Because Zacchaeus receives grace, he begins to change and straight away he's like, Lord, and straight away his life is shifting and he's going, because I've received this grace, I cannot stay the same. Lord, right now I give half my money away to the poor and if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. If I was in the crowd, I'd be like, hey, honey, did we pay taxes? (laughs) Yep, here I am, (laughs) four times as much, count me in on that stuff. Something changes straight away. Zacchaeus doesn't go, "Mm, Lord, this is amazing. Listen, Lord, I'm just going to make sure I've got enough in savings. I'm going to secure my life. I'm going to make some friends and make sure I'm, I'm okay for afterwards. And then, Lord, and then I will start giving back. He goes, no, straight away, right here, right now, giving half I earn to the poor. Imagine a group of poor people like, Zacchaeus, can I have this? Yeah, you can have that. Zacchaeus, can I have that? Yeah, you can have that. Zacchaeus, can I, can I lie down there? Yeah, that's my bed, but you, you can have that. Yeah, go for it. Straight away, he starts doing it. And, and he starts giving money away. And, and you can think, okay, I get that, but isn't that against grace? Isn't that a kind of penance? you paying for your sins. You've done bad stuff. Now you kind of pay for it to make. No, penance is not grace. Restitution, what Zacchaeus was doing is an outworking of grace, but restitution is very different from penance. Restitution is not, I must pay for the bad things I've done. Restitution is, because of the goodness I've received, I'm going to do things good that are going to be undoing the bad things that I've done. I've been involved in bad stuff here, and I'm going to do stuff which is actively counteracting the bad stuff that I've done. Man, I've been cheating people, now I'm going to give people more back than I cheated them from. It's very different from penance. I'm doing it not because I want God to love me, but because God loves me. I'm doing it not because God would love me more if I did it, but because God loves me perfectly, I'm going to do it. Have you experienced the grace of God? So, oh, I love God, I love God, but your life hasn't changed. Maybe you, maybe you haven't experienced the love of God. Maybe you like the idea of being a Christian. Oh, it's someone to be there, sins forgiven. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Oh, great. Anything else you can do for me, Jesus? Fantastic. I'll take that. But no, I haven't experienced my sin that separated me from God. Jesus has come to me. Man, that's amazing. That's amazing. The third category, and we're not going to spend long on this, but for some of you, this might well be the knockout punch from this evening, is the crowd. How do people looking in respond? How do we relate to others when they receive the grace of God? When the crowd standing around see Jesus extending grace to Zacchaeus, they don't go, amazing, it's what God is like, wow, it's just, it's incredible, it's undeserved favor, this is wonderful, like tweeting, Zacchaeus got saved, smiley face, smiley face, thumbs up, awesome, fantastic, Twitter sphere it out, they're like, why would he do that, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner, and they started grumbling, let me ask you a question, Do you grumble when God shows undeserved favor to people you don't think deserve it? Or when God shows undeserved favor to people and he doesn't do the same for you or so you think? How did she get a baby? And I've been asking God for a baby for a long time and I've been a really good Christian and she's a pretty bad Christian. Oh, cuts a bit close to home, doesn't it? Or here's a big one. I've been smiling, but now I'm going to go for your heart. This, this, here we go. Put your seatbelt on. 
who would make you grumble if God was merciful to them? If God saved them? If God gave them grace? Who would make you grumble? Would it be the person who abused you? Would it be the person who lied to you? Would it be the person who cheated you? Would it be the person who did something terrible to someone that you love? Would it be the person who divorced you? Would it be the person who spoke behind your back? Would it be the person who caused you pain? And suddenly it's like, oh, I love the grace of God. Mm. What? They don't deserve that. And we find in our hearts suddenly there's a bit of a problem. But here's the thing. God allows that problem to surface because he says, I want you to experience grace in all its fullness. And as long as you're holding on to ungrace towards someone else, you're not going to experience grace as I've intended it for you. And so even right now, as I've said those things, I mean, that, that cuts pretty deep because people do some terrible, terrible, terrible things. And yet God says, I don't want you to be a grumbler. Those who have received grace give grace to others. Who do you need to extend grace? Undeserved forgiveness towards. You may think, Chris, you have no idea what happened. I don't know if I could. That person's not sorry. That person is dead. That person is, has done it to that person, that person. I don't, I don't know the, the pain of your own situation, but I do know this. As long as you hold on to that ungrace, that unforgiveness, you will not experience the freedom that God has for you. So those are pretty radical, big, massive life things that maybe tonight is the start of a journey for you towards forgiveness. But any time we look at others and say, why should they receive the grace of God? What we're also saying is, they don't deserve it, but I do. And we never put God in our, in our debt. There's nothing that any of us could do where we can stand before God and rightfully say, God, you owe me. That person you don't owe, therefore it's not fair that you do anything good for them, but you do owe me because of the good stuff I've done to you, done for you. Do you relate to God like that? As we finish, we look at this incredible um, statement by Jesus where he says, he finishes off the passage, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I wonder if we can sing it as we finish. Is that okay, John? It was kind of a rhetorical question. We're going to sing. Um, band, could you guys come up, please, if that's okay? Jesus finishes by saying this. For the Son of Man, he's speaking about himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the God that we worship. This is why we come together on a Sunday evening and worship him. But here's the thing, this God who came to seek and save the lost, the one who comes whose arm is not too short to save, the one who knows everything that's going on in our lives and who's saying, hey, I want you to come to me. I want you to be my friend. I'm coming to you. I'm knocking at the door of your heart. And my love comes to you exactly where you are, but my love's not going to leave you there because I'm going to transform you. That God comes to us this evening and he says, I want you to be like me in the world. 
Sunday evenings, brilliant. Mm, fantastic hour and a half of your time. But there's a whole lot of other hours where God's saying, I want that time too. And I want to work through you to be the seeking and saving the lost God that I am through you as you go to work tomorrow. Do you know what? Jesus goes to work with you. Why? Because he's living inside you. As you enter your office tomorrow, it's Jesus going into your office. As you're with your neighbors, as you're with your sports friends, as you're with your mates from university, wherever you are, Jesus is there. And he's saying, I'm the seeking and saving the lost kind of God, and I'm living that through you. Are we going to be a church that loves seeking and saving the lost? Man, we can't do that ourselves, but we can carry the God with us who does that. We can love people. We can serve people. Or we can be comfortable with like, man, this is awesome. Imagine like 100 people. Imagine we grow 150 people. Imagine 200 people coming together. And it's just like, mmm, Christians, mmm. No. I want to be a church that seeks and saves the lost. I want to have people having smoke breaks outside and guys coming in making a bit of a racket sometimes. Finish off with this story. Two days ago, we arrived in London. I took my kids to a play park. And there were a whole lot of teenagers smoking and swearing and causing a little bit of trouble in the play park. And I was a little bit scared. Not for my kids, for me. I was scared, firstly. Secondly, I was a little bit repulsed. I was thinking, man, jolly scallywags. No discipline, no respect. First two were very human responses, and I think they came from me. I know they did. Third response was, I just felt a little bit broken that the church that I'm a part of leading, I don't think would be able to reach these people very well at all. But we have a God who loves them, who knows their names, who wants them to come to know him, wants to come to their house and eat. Have I ever invited a guy like that to my house to eat? Let's be that kind of church that go, no, no, yes, yes. Let's stand up and uh, we're going to start singing. I'll lead us in a prayer as we finish in a couple of moments. But let's respond to this God.